0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Thursday, July 6th, 2017 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. What's the lobby with its tentacles spread furthest throughout the corridors of power in Washington, D.C.? Is it the gun lobby? Nope. Is it the Israel lobby? The Department of Justice says Hobby Lobby will pay a hefty fine and return thousands of ancient Iraqi artifacts that were smuggled into the United States. Yeah, Federal prosecutors allege Hobby Lobby intentionally mislabeled the artifacts as ceramics and samples and illegally shipped them to stores and even to corporate offices. Hobby Lobby wow. has agreed to pay a three million dollar fine. Hobby Lobby getting sloppy. Couldn't find a copy of the Code of Hammurabi? It's not that part of the Middle East we're talking about. It's not Abu Dhabi. According to the New York Times, Hobby Lobby, whose evangelical Christian owners have long maintained an interest in the biblical Middle East, began in 2009 to assemble a collection of cultural artifacts from the Fertile Crescent. Ah, the Fertile Crescent. So this is consistent with their stance in that famous Supreme Court case, Burwell v. Hobby Lobby, where the court ruled that a private company does not have to cover the cost of birth control for their employees. So you can see why Hobby Lobby would flout rules banning trade from Iraq, the former Mesopotamia. When it's the fertile crescent you're talking about, Hobby Lobby wants no prophylactic measures. This is kind of nuts. Just think about all the other businesses in America that in no way claim to be good Christians. I don't know, like Murray's Bagels, Penthouse Magazine, Interscope Records, none of them there's any chance they indirectly funded Hezbollah. Well, with Hobby Lobby, you never know. They smuggled Middle Eastern artifacts. Could have happened. And just the craziness of Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby, this company that I'd never even heard of. I'm not a big crafts guy. I don't own a glue gun. I had only heard of them in the Supreme Court case. And now, two, three years later, they're having this gigantic cultural impact. Domestic policy, international policy. It's a little like, what if Cinnabon was all of a sudden mentioned as violating the Emoluments Clause, and then later, Cinnabon announced they will join Cigna as a provider in Maricopa County. Or if the Build-A-Bear workshop were caught up in this whole Russian hacking thing. Actually, Build-A-Bear, Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear, I think we've cracked the case. As for Hobby Lobby, they are sorry, they apologize on behalf of all their employees. Among them, the women of childbearing age, who are forced to buy their own rubbers at the AMPM on the way home. On the show today, I spiel about a rebuke to leftists from centrists as a way to beat the right, and this rebuke wound up doing the impossible. Everyone hates it. But first, with Congress taking a break, a few Republican lawmakers have held town halls on health care, and they've gotten an earful. We thought it was high time to talk to one of the conservative movement's leading voices on the issue. His take in a nutshell, not beautiful, not better than Obamacare. You won't love it. Philip Klein, up next. Philip Klein is the managing editor of the Washington Examiner. He was once a Washington correspondent for the American Spectator and a reporter for Reuters. He is the author of Overcoming Obamacare, Three Approaches to Reversing the Government Takeover of Healthcare. Hello, Philip. Thanks for coming on The Gist. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to, spoiler alert, here are the three approaches, reform, replace, and restart. Which one does this Senate bill embrace?
0: Well, the Senate bill is a bit of kind of a, an odd bird and a a kind of an amalgamation of various different parts. The best parts of each. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that the Senate bill is more a political compromise or an attempt at a political compromise that, sort of takes the impulses of different ideological groups and tries to integrate it into one bill. I mean, basically, the big debate um, going into this year for years among right-of-center health policy within that world has been over basically how far do you go in repealing Obamacare and how far do you go into instituting a more free-market approach to health care. And basically, there was a big difference between that. Some people said, well, we need to just sort of work from within Obamacare and try to move it in a more market-oriented direction. Some people said, no, we need to repeal and replace it with something, but the replacement has to provide enough of a safety net to be politically palatable. And then there was a school of people that said, we need to tear it up and start it all over again. And you see those different schools in effect in these various debates between people like Rand Paul that are attacking the Senate bill as being Obamacare light, and on the other hand, people like Susan Collins who are saying, oh, well, we want to keep the Medicaid expansion. We're worried about how many people are going to get, coverage is going to get disrupted
1: so it's not only Rand Paul who's calling it Obamacare-lite. It was uh, a certain uh, managing editor of the Washington Examiner who did that, too, right? Yes. Yes.
0: Here's the issue, is that essentially the, the bill that they ended up coming up with is a bill that, on the one hand, pulls back, scales back the Medicaid expansion if it is implemented as it's written, but there's also it gets rid of most of Obamacare's taxes. So in that sense, they could argue that we're repealing Obamacare. But at the same time, it keeps about a trillion dollars of Obamacare spending. It keeps the subsidy structure the same. And the major changes to Medicaid don't start getting phased in until after the next presidential election.
1: But is Obamacare light to your way of thinking? Does that necessarily mean it's a failure?
0: Um I mean, certainly it's a failure from the perspective of trying to repeal and replace. I would say that the problem isn't only that it's obamacare light. There are certain Obamacare-lite-type plans that you could argue are obamacare light, but nonetheless have a sort of coherent approach.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But basically the approach that they ended up with is one that they get Slammed for, you know, kicking 20 million people, over 20 million people out of insurance and slashing Medicaid and so forth. So they're getting slammed for all the elements that you expect a free market plan to be attacked on. But on the other hand, they're getting none of the offsetting benefits, which is that if you had a pure free market plan, you could argue that there are much more choice, that there's more uh, flexibility, that the market's more functional and cheaper for people who are generally healthy. And all of those benefits that you could argue on a free market plan are taken off the table by a plan that keeps most of Obamacare's regulatory infrastructure intact.
1: When you, you're a leading conservative light on health care, you're a big thinker, you're influential. So when you headline, an, or when an article of yours is headlined, Senate health care bill is an Obamacare rescue package, doesn't that damn it? Because there are certainly, you know, four, five, six, seven senators, if they think that that's true in their souls, they can't vote for it, can they?
0: No, of course, they could try to convince themselves that it's not. Right. But the reality is that basically in the near term and in the roughest standpoint, in the year term, this bill would inject over $100 billion into trying to prop up Obamacare And the major changes, as I said, don't really happen until the next presidential election year or after that.
1: Do you think that the Republican caucus, that 50 members of the Republican caucus actually believe in the free market? Or is it just the case, I know among conservatives, they look at Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins or maybe Rob Portman or whichever wavering Republican, I think that they say, well, in their heart of hearts, they really want the free market. But is there evidence for that? Are you sure that every Republican wants the free market? No, I wouldn't make that
0: argument at all. I'd say that, you know, I see no evidence that Republicans by and large want free market. If they did, they'd be much more willing to get rid of Obamacare's you know numerous regulations. Although what's fascinating to me is you see like people like Shelley Moore Capito, who's been raising alarms over the Medicaid uh, changes in this bill. But about a year and a half ago, when the Senate voted on a repeal bill that would have completely eliminated the Medicaid expansion within two years, Capitol voted yes for that in favor of eliminating it in two years. Now there's a plan on the table that would take seven years to phase out the funding and that funds the Medicaid expansion a lot more generously and basically spends a trillion dollars, roughly speaking, of the two trillion dollars that Obamacare spends over a decade you know, she's raising alarms to high heavens about the idea that they're cutting Medicaid. So I just think that there's a lot of hypocrisy out there and that the so-called centrists or moderates are the biggest hypocrites because they went along with it for years, the sort of repeal and replacement rhetoric, and now they're defending the major portions of Obamacare.
1: Yeah, well, why do you think Shelley Moore Capito changed
0: Why? Because there are a lot of people in West Virginia that gained coverage through the Medicaid expansion, and a year and a half ago, she knew Obama would veto the bill, so she would be able to go along with her party without ever having to explain the consequences of her decision. I think
1: that's exactly right. A vote without consequences has a lot of allure, but when the vote means to thousands, tens of thousands of your citizens that were going to get in the way of you and opioid treatment, the vote means something else. But isn't that just her being a good representative for her people?
0: Well, I don't know. I think that she also ran as part of the drive to repeal and replace Obamacare and certainly not to protect Obamacare and the Medicaid money. Also, it's not about protecting your citizens when you're taking money away from taxpayers, including in other states, to try to finance individuals in your own state. If she feels so strongly about it, then maybe people in West Virginia should pay higher taxes to finance the Medicaid expansion in that state.
1: Health healthcare is an issue for which compromise is not only hard, but it often gets in the way of progress. Any sort of compromise. It's not just uh, the free market that can't compromise. A proponent of the government providing healthcare. One thing always leads to another thing, and you know, you take away any leg of that stool, the whole thing collapses. So maybe the only solution is for either. Republicans or Democrats or we should say, you know, a like minded Republicans and like minded Democrats to get super majorities of both houses and the presidency and then just implement either universal health care or a total free market because it's in between stuff is killing us.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair margin. There are basically two visions for how you control healthcare spending and how you allocate healthcare spending. And one is the sort of single payer model that you have sort of a central payer that's going to control costs and ration care and drive down costs in that way. Um, or you have an idea of a free market where you have consumers trying to negotiate for the lowest prices and shop around for the best deals as works in other markets. And, What you end up with in the United States is kind of the worst of both worlds, in a sense, Uh, in terms of cost containment, at least, is that you have the element of the government spending a lot of money and taking on a lot of responsibility for providing people with health coverage without any of the uh, cost controls that come with other big government systems.
1: Well, I think that some conservatives, and here I'm going to play you a clip of uh, Avic Roy, who I know, uh, you know, and you thank in your credits, and you quote him in articles, and he's a big conservative thinker, or at least a Republican thinker, and he advised Mitt Romney, right? So he's this uh, very smart healthcare guy. He was talking to Ezra Klein, their relation to you, Philip Klein, and here's how he uh, characterized a change of thinking among uh, conservatives. The heaviest lift from a policy and legislative standpoint was to convince the Senate to move to this means-tested, income-tested tax credit where you're providing more assistance to the poor and the vulnerable. That was a huge philosophical adjustment for the Republican Party. And I think from your point of view, it may not be as obvious because you're like, well, of course we should help poor people buy health insurance. That's obviously taken for granted on the left. On the right, it is not, right? On the right, there is a huge debate between the people who see that as welfare and the people like me who say we should achieve universal coverage. Okay. Is he phrasing that right?
0: Ovik, of course, I've quoted him and so forth, but we have a number of disagreements. And Ovik was somebody who has argued for a number of years that conservatives should favor universal coverage. His plan that he presented as an alternative to Obamacare was something that I described as more of a reform of Obamacare. So this hasn't been much of a shift for OVIC, and I don't think there's been any sort of shift among conservatives. I do think that there has been a shift among Republicans to go toward the more liberal view, which is why a lot of conservatives like myself are up in arms of it. So I do think it's fair to categorize Republicans as having shifted to the liberal point of view on health care.
1: But since not all senators or representatives are conservative who are Republican, by the definition you just gave, it seems that, you know, that that dooms the bill.
0: I I don't necessarily know just because maybe I'm super cynical about politicians and I don't give them much credit in terms of having um, strong ideological convictions. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of reminded of how... uh, Back in 2009, Ben Nelson, the former Nebraska senator, did a radio interview in local news where he listed all sorts of problems that were sort of lines in the sand of his on Obamacare and said it had a long way to go. And then Harry Reid gave uh, a bit more um, Medicaid money to Nebraska, and he was on board within two days.
1: The Cornhusker kickback, yes.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. And so I think that people have various different incentives and political calculations, and so I don't place much stock in the convictions of politicians, and particularly so-called centrists. I feel like centrists always get credit and a certain degree of adoration by the many elements of the media for being sort of willing to talk to the other party and cut deals and not to be so ideologically rigid and so forth. But I actually just think that's another way of saying they could be bought off easily. So I would never, I mean, am I going to bet on this bill passing? You know, no, I'm not going to bet my life savings on this bill passing. But I also wouldn't be surprised if people... You know, somehow he's able to get there, Uh, McConnell being he, uh, is able to get there by picking off some of these interests by you know, offering different goodies and billions of dollars here or there.
1: Philip Klein's the managing editor of the Washington Examiner, where he's written such uh, articles as Republicans dog by tyranny of the Healthcare status quo. GOP cave on Obamacare repeal is the biggest broken promise in political history. And Republican Obamacare plan signals that liberalism has already won. You see why he's frequently quoted in these matters. Thank you so much, Philip. Thank you and now the spiel today the new york times the failing new york times really did fail it ran as its centerpiece op-ed an argument for centrism or at least against the siren song of liberalism among democrats Now i am a centrist moderate left maybe that sort of guy kind of reductive it's not true on all issues but look i'm more clinton obama barney frank than bernie sanders elizabeth warren robert Reich. give me some nora morenstein keep your matt taibbi it's not cool it's not cutting edge I prefer Joe Klein to Naomi Klein. Not radical, not sexy. I really like Michael Bloomberg. See what I mean? So I was hoping to like this article titled, Back to the Center, Democrats. But then the words right underneath it were jarring. Those words were this, by Mark Penn and Andrew Stein. Let us take these two one at a time. Andrew Stein was a former New York politician who was convicted of tax evasion for his role in a Ponzi scheme. That was the third worst of his sins, according to critics on Twitter. The second worst is that he was once Ann Coulter's boyfriend, not in high school, like a couple years ago. But Stein's worst thing, that was the second worst, the worst thing Stein ever did, and this is they make a good case, is he voted for Donald Trump in the presidential election. Kind of a disqualifier for giving advice to Democrats. And while I can't say I disagree with the critical assessment of Stein, I find it interesting that of the op-ed's two authors, the tax-dodging, Coulter-dating, Trump-endorsing Stein was seen as the more benevolent character because the other one was Mark Penn. He was eviscerated for his past advice to Hillary Clinton. In 2008, he told her to defend her Iraq war vote, to not run as a woman, but as an iron lady, and to emphasize competence versus Barack Obama's message of change, which of course went nowhere except that song and the campaign and the posters and the White House twice. Penn stuck his head out a bit in 2000, it was actually a 2015 article by Eleanor Clift in the Daily Beast. It was titled, Mark Penn, Hillary's 2008 scapegoat, comes in from the cold. And he said some things that were true, like Hillary hadn't yet developed a signature issue during the Democratic primaries. She was having a little trouble connecting. And he ended, or the article ends with this passage. A tough campaign lies ahead, and Penn made one prediction. If Trump is the Republican nominee... Clinton will win in a 49-state landslide. Quote, I don't personally think Trump can survive having to get voters beyond a sliver, but on the other hand, the proposition has never been tested. Sort of born of the creed, the proposition has never been tested. Penn and Stein wrote this op-ed. So the content reflected its pedigree. Really bad ideas. Here's some here's some stuff from it. Central to the Democrats' diminishment has been their loss of support among working-class voters, that's true, who feel abandoned by the party's shift away from moderate positions on trade and immigration, yeah, from backing police and tough anti-crime measures, and from trying to restore manufacturing jobs. Democrats backed away from that, or manufacturing jobs just left. Now, let's go back to the police part for a second. I do not agree with that at all. Policing wasn't a huge issue to voters, and even if it were, it is actually just, flat-out wrong to jail people unnecessarily to win white voters, most of whom don't even live in cities where murder rates were rising a little bit. Later, the op-ed says, the opioid crisis has spiraled out of control, killing tens of thousands, while pardons have been given to so-called non-violent drug offenders. So-called because they were non-violent drug offenders. And it is true, Obama did give 212 pardons while he was president, and all of those people got out of jail and immediately began shoving Oxycontin up the nose of West Virginians. Okay, Obama also gave out 1,700 commutations. That's a good thing. Connecting those issues is crazy, especially when one of the co-authors is a convicted felon who was showed mercy by a judge and spared jail time. It is stupid and hypocritical. Here's another example of stellar argumentation easily lost in today's divided politics is that only a little more than a quarter of Americans consider themselves liberal, while almost three in four are self-identified moderates or conservatives. Let me now give you an equally true statement from the same data set that they took, which was Gallup poll. Easily lost in today's divided politics is that only a little more than a third of Americans consider themselves conservatives, while almost two in three are self-identified moderates or liberals. And also, again, the same data set shows that among Democrats, 45% consider themselves liberals and 35% moderates. So their advice to Democrats is turn away from that which the party sees itself as. I thought this was maybe a New York Times false flag operation, like a really good way to destroy centrism by letting these two clowns define it. Maybe it was centrism minstrelsy, like when Fox News hired Susan Estrich from the Democratic side. But here's what I think. The label, centrist, doesn't really matter, the label. The truth is, and this is true for national elections for 20 years, unless Democrats can win over more white working class voters, they are going to lose elections. You have to win the majority of them. You have to win more of them. Other things like better turnout among black voters, that would help. Uh, The changing demographics of America will help. But you have to give white working class voters something. If white working class voters don't think you will help them, they will not vote for you. And just as a practical matter, don't we want the person who's elected president to represent a coalition of all different kinds of people? Now, some people say, you know what? Fuck those white working class voters. If they voted for Trump, they're racist. Full stop. Some say if white working class voters or even white middle class voters are experiencing shrinking social capital, that's actually progress or change or that's just the way things go. And also, look how much they have in absolute terms compared to other voters. That's true. That'd be a fair point to make in an op-ed that makes a hell of a lot more sense than this one. But without giving real hope and real inspiration and a real sense of solutions to the white working class, the Democrats are going to get shut out of state offices and state houses and the presidency. Democrats are saying that they need a good message on how to address the concerns of downwardly mobile whites actually, I disagree. I don't think they need a good message. I think they actually need a good plan. And once they have a good plan, a good message will follow. Go back to college. That's not going to woo them. You have too much already. Fairly unconvincing. Think about all the people of color who are gaining. That will only inspire, I don't know, very small percent of them. They're all pretty bad arguments bordering on the risible, meaning perhaps in the future, they will earn their own New York Times op-ed. And that's it for today's show. But let me mention another show on the Panoply Network, a Slate podcast, Chris Malamfy's Hit Parade. Sort of sprang out of the gist. I mean, it sprang out of Chris Malamphy's head. On this week's show, Elton John and George Michael fought for the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100. And Chris looks at how Elton John's decision to come out as bisexual had a huge impact on convincing musicians like Michael they had to stay in the closet. All right. As for this show, Mary Wilson produces The Gist. She also sells ancient tablets. She has an iPad 1 with its terrible processor for sale. Chris Berube, just producer, never dated Ann Coulter, but once did date Dave Coulier. You ought to know about it. Steve Licktie, executive producer of Slate Podcast, told Hillary not to run as a woman, but to run as an Ethiopian woman. They win a lot of races. The Gist. Phil Jackson wrote an op-ed on how the Golden State Warriors could really use the triangle. Okay, look, that was a sportsy in joke, but the last time I mentioned Phil Jackson in the credits, he was fired. So only good things happen. Oopru da pro Peru, and thanks for listening.